0: Welcome to multifamily real estate investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Polling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you again this week to talk about a timely topic that I've had several questions on in the last few weeks. And we call that the R word. Recession. Many Most investors fear recessions. We don't think you should. Don't. Commercial real estate, multifamily commercial real estate in particular, can be a great asset to hold throughout the entire economic cycle, including the upcoming recession, which, by the way, there is always an upcoming recession as soon as we get out of one, there's another one on its way. And we're going to talk about all of that this week. If you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, comments about our topic this week or any other topic, feel free to shoot me an email pat at marapoling.com. M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And please swing by The Learning Center at MaraPolling.com. When you have a moment, check out all the other great content we have there for you. Let's get to it. Recessions. That sounds really scary. And for some of you that might be younger investors, you might think, oh my gosh, we're having a recession. Well, on average, the economy moves through the recession portion of the economic cycle about every five years. Now that has not been the case for the last two decades, but it is pretty normal. When I first came into the investing world, the professional world, um, we kind of had them one right after another for a little while. Uh, Recessions are not anything to fear. They're a natural part of the economic cycle. That economic cycle is one that runs from uh, expansion and growth through uh, a peak period and then falls off of um, of that peak and begins to contract. That's the recessionary part of it until it bottoms out in a trough, which is highlighted by the beginning of a new expansion. That contraction is really important. Um, We don't think of it that way. Uh, We think of contraction as being a bad thing, but contraction serves a really valid purpose. It kind of calls the herd, right? So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the midst of an expansion that isn't really economically viable but it gets carried along with the wave. Well, the contraction cleans the deck of some of that things. It allows a normalization of any bubble, and we'll talk about that in a minute, that might have developed. And it incentivizes the acquisition of resources to be prepared for that trough. And the trough is a great sign because the trough means we are headed into the expansion. So recessions are not to be feared. It is a cycle. These happen with, as I said, some degree of regularity. Now, in my professional lifetime, we've had several going back to 1981-82. We had high oil prices, high inflation. What does this sound like? And the Fed's response was to significantly ratchet up rates, to choke off that inflation. And having done so, contributed to significant economic growth over about the next 10 years. So again, as I said, that contraction, it really serves an important purpose. It is not fun by any stretch of the imagination. I appreciate that. It is a natural part of the cycle. In the early 90s, 90, 91. again, we had a period of inflation. The Fed's response triggered a recession, which then positioned us for, again, about another 10-year run. Very nice. A couple of things happened in 2001. The bubble had developed in the dot-com world. Some of you may remember, many of you may not. That there was a period of time where valuations were apparently not based on how much companies earned, or not even how much they might earn from a reasonable forecast going forward. They were based simply on the fact that, wow, you're a dot-com company. All the dot-coms are going to make a fortune. We got to get in on this. And obviously, some companies, like Amazon as an example, turned out to be fantastic investments. But the vast majority did not. And that bubble burst in 2001, along with the tragic attack on 9-11. We came out of there and because of a number of factors, we had a housing bubble that developed along with some uh, maybe less than ethical or certainly uh, less than altruistic uh, Thoughts coming out of Wall Street that led to the Great Recession in 2007, 2008. And then just in the last couple of years, we've had a very short recession, but technically still a recession from shutting the economy down to deal with the COVID 19 pandemic. So we have recessions, they occur. Are we going to have another one? Yes. Soon. I guess that depends on what your definition of soon is. If by soon you mean next quarter, I don't know. That, that's, there's certainly some folks that would say, yes, we're on the brink of a recession. And there's others that say, you know what, it might take m- multiple quarters, a year or more before we actually move into a recession. The soft landing idea that gets floated a lot of, well, we don't need recessions. We can just slow the expansion and stretch the peak out. That's never proven to happen. Yes, the peak can get stretched, but eventually it collapses into recession and we start heading for the trough, which is what the whole goal is about. So recessions are going to happen. They're not something to be feared. If you have dollars as an investor that you're investing in short-term pieces of uh, time, meaning you've got money, you've got $50,000, and in three years you need this $50,000 to go do something, investing it in an equity or some other kind of investment, even a real estate investment, is pretty risky because you're timing the market. It's one of the reasons why moving those dollars into cash or bonds or some other item where they can be significantly more secure in the short term makes a lot of sense. But if you have dollars that you're investing over a long term, remember we said recessions average about every five years. So if you're investing with, say, a 10 or a 15 or a 20 year horizon, so these might be retirement funds. We're just long-term investments. You're going to have that investment during a recession, likely during multiple recessions. So that investment should be an investment that can perform not just in the growth phase of the economy, not just in the peak, but it needs to be able to perform during a recession and survive so it comes through the trough to prosper in the next round of growth. And multifamily real estate does that. So I want to talk a little about, what do we got here? I don't know, seven or eight different categories, different items that help multifamily perform that way. Now, in no particular order, let's, um, let's start with the first, which is people need a place to live you know, investing in multifamily real estate, we're investing in one of the most essential consumer items there is food and shelter. People need to eat they got to have a roof over their head. Now that doesn't mean, pardon me. That doesn't mean someone needs to live in a four bedroom, three bath, uh, gorgeous class A unit with an infinity pool and a balcony. And you don't need that in order to live, right? I need a place that's safe and secure, that has enough room for me and my family and allows us to uh, do the things in life that are important to us. That might be a B, it might be a C, Um, probably not an A although there's a lot of folks that will continue to live in A's throughout a recession because they're less impacted economically. So everyone has to have a place to live. That helps drive the resiliency of multifamily in general. Now we like class B often call class B the Goldilocks class. And one of the reasons why is we like the way it's buffered by the A's and the C's. And here's what I mean by that. When there's a recession, uh, people lose jobs. It's, It's unfortunate and it's just a sad reality of what happens in a downturn. People will lose jobs. They'll have hours cut back. They may have Uh, pay cut or lose uh, income like bonuses or other items that they've been counting on in terms of being able to take care of their expenses. And while you can cut some non-essentials, right? You could say, well, we're going to get rid of the cable TV package or the streaming services or whatever else. I I really don't need to survive. You're not going to say, I'm going to move out in the street. At least that's hopefully not what happens. But you might say, I can't afford to live where I'm living right now. And therefore you're gonna move out of that apartment and move to a place that's more affordable and fits your current economic condition. So as a class B investor, we will have tenants that will be affected and will move out. So we will see a spike in vacancies going to happen if you look historically at class B properties and this is something we do during our acquisition phase you will see at the beginning of each recession a spike in vacancies say you're running along at 7 or 8% vacancy you'll see a spike to 10 11 12 13% vacancy but then you'll see a recovery and by that i mean dropping from 13 or 12% wherever it went down to 10, 9, 8% to get. Well, what's going on there? Well, that's the buffer that I'm describing, right? So there's class A tenants, and we all know them, class A tenants that love those places they live. And maybe they really don't have the resources to be living there. They're living a little more check to check and possibly are not economically affected by the recession, but they see the recession going on around them. And when it's time to renew, they think, yeah, I don't really need to be paying $3,000 or $2,500 a month for this apartment when there's a very nice $1,300 apartment right down the street in a nice building. And so they'll move in. There's also homeowners that, unfortunately, in a recession are no longer homeowners. They need a place to live. So there's movement, and the bees, while bees, will lose some tenants. B's can gain tenants to replace those. When we look historically at class B performance in recessions from an occupancy standpoint, we see a spike at the beginning of the recession. We see a return to more or less the same level of occupancy. And then we see another little spike at the end of the recession, as we move into the recovery. Now you might be wondering, why would that happen? Who's losing their job then? Well, somebody might be losing their job then. But what's causing that spike is the class B tenants that as the economy recovers, now have the ability to do other things. They might move to an A. They might move to uh, a different part of town. Maybe they get a new job somewhere. And many of them become homeowners, which we love. We think that's fantastic when people get a chance to become homeowners. And we're absolutely supportive of that. And the reason why we are is the other buffer, and that's the C's. Because there's a family that lives in a C property that has met all of their needs that would like a little more room, some green space, maybe it's a better school or a safer neighborhood. And so they're gonna move in to backfill that B that moves out. So we see a spike at the beginning of the recession, and then a little spike near the end of it. And that has happened in every instance, but two. (laughs) And let me share those. In 2007, 2008, when that recession took hold, and in, in part because it was driven by this housing bubble, we saw that spike, but, It didn't spike and then come back to eight or 9% where it was before, it came back to 6%. It dropped, occupancy increased. The reason why, we had millions, millions and millions, over 5 million households that had been homeowners that were now renters. And some of those became class B apartment renters. And so we actually saw an increase in occupancy not the norm that we had seen before. Jump ahead to the COVID recession, COVID-19 in 2020. We saw something quite similar. We did see a spike, not so much in vacancy, it it was a spike and not a terribly large one in bad debt, in people's ability to pay. What we did see was a significant increase in occupancy during that recession, driven very much by tenants not leaving. So occupancy numbers are a function of not just leasing new units, but how many tenants move out. Renewal rates, rates at which people signed renewal leases went up dramatically. Tenants weren't moving. Therefore, there weren't a lot of units to be available. And what little bit of movement there was in the market got gobbled up by all of that, pushing occupancy into the high 90s. So we saw properties that had been eight or 9%, and then through 2007, 2008, maybe dropped to five or 6%. We saw them now drop to vacancy rates. Physical vacancy rates that were in the two or even three percent range, and then another two or three percent in bad debt. So, economic vacancy about the same, uh, but the physical occupancy different. When those tenants leave, as we said, they get replaced. Now, during a recession, rents are going to moderate, right? We're not going to be moving rents as aggressively, and in many instances, not going to move them at all. We're going to focus on occupancy, keep the properties well-occupied, and keep them occupied with tenants that have a demonstrated capability to pay their rent and pay it on time. And that simply means making sure that we're sticking to the standards that we have in place all the time around income-to-rent ratios and uh, eviction histories and so on. We also stress test our assets during acquisition because we want to make sure that they can withstand a significant swing, a a historic swing in occupancy. For example, if we have a property that we're looking at and it's currently having a vacancy rate in the maybe 6% range, well, we're going to look historically and see that historically, it's done quite well. 6 to 8% is kind of where it's been, but we look far enough back, we see a spike at 12% in its past. We want to be in a position where we not only can withstand a 12% rate of vacancy, we want to be at least at 18%, which would be 150%, one and a half times that 12% vacancy. And if we can... We'd like to be two times that, which would mean a 24% vacancy. So that would give us a break-even occupancy in the high 70s to low 80s. And that's very typical. The high 70s is pretty much where most of our assets end up from a break-even occupancy standpoint. That number then allows us to stress test the asset with a variety of different factors to ensure that it will continue to perform. Now, in a recession, especially as we near the trough and are moving through the trough, all of us should expect that cash flow will slow down at assets. If we've been cash flowing eight or nine or 10%, we might be cash flowing four or 5%. There are instances where we have in the past said, you know what, we're not going to make a distribution this quarter. We're going to hoard some cash just to make sure we can get through what we need to get through. That's just our conservative nature. Values will also pull back in a recession, in large part because you've heard me say Fed policy several times through here. Interest rates are going up often as that gets triggered. Now, they may then turn around and come down as the Fed now tries to get the trough moving and get back to the recovery. But if we've got a period where we have interest rates moving up, well, then cap rates are going to move up as well. Again, not necessarily one for one. So we'll see a moderating of prices and values. That is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being a seller and a buyer during a recession. You're going to sell for less than if you sold at the peak of the economic cycle, most likely. You're also going to be buying for less. And if you're doing a 1031, which we uh, advocate as a strategy everyone should at least look at, then you'll be replacing with an asset that's larger by definition. And it's on sale possibly for the same percentage discount, but because it's a larger asset, there's actually a bigger dollar value savings associated with that. So we think it makes sense to be a trader whenever an asset has reach the point that it makes sense to sell. And we've got some sessions we've done in the past on when we think the right time is to sell. Uh, If you have questions about that, you can go find some of those. Or as I said earlier, feel free to shoot me an email. So multifamily real estate is, we believe, a wonderful investment that yes, it performs well during the growth and the peak portions of the economic cycle And there may, in fact, be some real values to be had in the trough in terms of acquiring new assets. It also performs during the recession. It it performs during that contraction. And it's because it is such an essential piece of the consumer marketplace. And Class B, in particular, has this additional buffering around it. Combine that with intelligent acquisition, not overpaying for assets, not over leveraging, being in a position where there's a strong break-even occupancy that can be maintained and exceeded in a positive manner throughout that recessionary period. And you've now got an asset that can be held long-term, an investment asset class that you can be in 10 and 15 and 20 years as we move up and down through the economic cycle. Understanding, and I didn't say this up front, but anytime you if you go find a graph of the economic cycle, you'll see the little sine wave that's drawn, but you're going to see that it's tilted upwards and that's because successive troughs are higher, right? This trough is higher than the last trough. The next trough will be higher than this trough. Peaks are successively higher. So while there is an up and a down and an up and a down, the trend line is positive. The trend line has us moving forward and has us growing. So we have growth, a peak, and a contraction. Not quite as much contraction as we had growth. So net, net, we're ahead. And we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. I hope this helps calm Some fears that some of you might have about investing during a recession. If you have a question about, gee, then should I not invest right now? Should I wait until we get to the trough? Knock yourself out. I don't know when that is. And anybody that tells you they know when the trough is, is pulling your leg. There's no way to know when the trough is. We're fans of something that looks a little more like dollar cost averaging. That is to not pay that much attention to this, to ignore where the cycle is, instead to look at individual investments, look at how they're underwriting. If it's already an existing asset, like if you're investing in, for example, our fund where there's assets already, how have they been performing? And make your decisions based on that data. Over time, you'll find that you're gonna make some investments during the trough, some during the peak, and some in between. They will all net out over a long period of time, such that we don't think it makes sense for these kinds of longer term investments to try and time the market. Now, if you've got 20 grand burning a hole in your pocket and you're looking to play the more speculative side of the real estate game, where there might be an 18 month hold because it's a fix and flip kind of deal, great. That's something to really then pay attention to where we are in the cycle. And you are trying to time the market and that probably does have an impact on when you might make that kind of investment. But those aren't the dollars we're talking about for a long-term multifamily investment. Those are really different kinds of dollars. I hope this has been helpful this week. And as I said, I hope it's helped calm some concerns about The upcoming recession, it will get here. And when it does, we'll talk about how assets in the marketplace are performing. In the meantime, rents continue to move significantly. Occupancies remain stubbornly high. Tenants are continuing to sign renewals with significant increases. That's where the market's at today. At some point in time, that will change. But right now, it has not. As I said before, if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. And don't forget to swing by marapolling.com, the learning center, and check out all the great content we have there. Thanks for joining me. And I look forward to talking to you again next week on another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Polling.